How's it going, folks? Thanks for popping in. We'll get started in a minute. Hey, Katie. Hey, Russell. Hey. Tomas, How's it going? Katie. How's it going out in LA? I hear there's a huge heat wave. Uh, there is, and I'm I just there. There is actually. I don't know about a heat wave, but it is warm. <laughs> I would trade uh, 90 degrees for uh, Chicago weather in the winter anytime. So, Tomas, what's a fun thing you got to do today? Fun thing I got to do today, or I had to do today. Uh, well, I was on a lot of meetings, let's put it that way. Um, not sure I'll call it fun, but it was uh, a lot of preparation still. So, sorry that I can't give you a lot more excitement of, to my day, but... No this worries. Is being, this is being recorded, also. No worries at all. But I can tell you everything is everything is coming together quite nicely. And uh, I'm very hopeful that uh, that everybody who will be watching will have a great time. Sweet. Katie, what was the best part of your day? Well, Russell, um, I mean, it, the risk of sounding like I am tooting the horn of our, our room here. This is always the highlight of my Wednesday. It really is. <laughs> I love this room. I'm excited to, to hear the story tonight. Um, and uh, so this is probably the best part. I had a very busy day myself. So this is always kind of where it's, I slow down and I get to hear someone's story and think a little bit more about the human factor. So I enjoy this, this space a lot. So I'm excited for this convo. Hi, Activia. Hey, Katie. Hey, Russell. Hey, Tomas. Hey, Octavia. Uh, hey, VJ. How's it going? Very well. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Hey, Elizabeth. Hello, hello. Hey, hey. Oh, you know what, Russell? I changed my mind. Oh, go. You know what happened this morning? No. My nine-year-old, um, he decided to show me that he was doing square dancing at school right before I was taking him to school. And he even he did a dosido -si -do and then he twirled me. So that was actually, it was like one of the best things that ever happened in my entire life. Oh my gosh, that is so On such a long day, I forgot that was this morning. How cute is that? It is. That's way better than getting together with us nerds. <laughs> I have to thank the public school system for teaching our kids how to square dance, I guess. That is awesome, square dancing. Wow. <laughs> 
we I had I remember having that in elementary school actually, yeah. and uh, you know all I remember was there were a lot of sweaty hands going on. Um, <laughs> when I was like in elementary school. <laughs> I don't know. The only part I liked about square dancing is dosy doing because we just like swung everybody around all over. That's the right. That's right. That's the best part. There's <laughs> probably some life lessons in there somewhere. We're digging enough. If you don't like the person, then square dance with them and just do do them around. They'll think you like them. I don't know. Maybe. No, I don't think that's it. All right. There she is. Hey, Jessica. How are you? Just a quick microphone check. Hey, everyone. I'm good. How are you, Tomas? Doing a-okay. So we are excited to, uh, we are excited to have you join us this evening. Um, so we're just going to run through, let me, let me do a quick, uh, start set off of the room. Uh, sorry that if I sound a little bit muffled, I am on the street and I have a mask on and I am, uh, waiting for Thank you, my friend. and people will just randomly walk by me saying, thank you. Not to me, but to other people. But in any event, uh, this is our weekly fireside chat. Thank you all for sort of popping in and joining us this evening. Uh, we are joined by Jessica Santana, who's the co-founder and CEO of America on Tech, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, just very quickly, we have a, we have some very basic, I'll call it house rules or guardrails. One, let's have fun, as VJ always says, let's have fun. This should be a great evening this evening. Uh, our, for the most part, some of the folks on the stage, our comments and opinions are our own and not representative of our current or prior employer. So. Uh, we ask that you keep that in mind as we continue to talk through uh, today's evening. We're not we're here really to talk talk to Jessica and understand and learn a little bit more about her. Um, so let's keep that all in mind. And then lastly, if you do pop up on stage to ask a question, we ask that you try not to solicit us. Uh, today's not the time to sell us your, your latest and greatest product or service offering. I think Tomas is on mute. Mm. Are we sorry, no, sorry, I, I uh, sorry, sorry about that. Um, just got a, a little bit distracted here on the street. And uh, and anyway, so look, we're gonna have a good time this evening. We're joined with Jessica. We've got our, our great moderators that usually join us, and uh, we've got a good amount of folks in the audience. So sorry, folks, that I'm a little bit uh, disoriented today, but I will try to get back on track with you all. So without further ado, I'm just going to go through quickly and introduce ourselves. I'll introduce myself, and then the mods will introduce themselves, and then Jessica will leave you for last. Uh, so I'm Tomas Maldonado. I'm the CISO for the National Football League. Katie, over to you. Hi, I'm Katie Hanahan. Um, I am the uh, Vice President of Cybersecurity Strategy for IT Savvy and uh, run our VCSO program. Um, over to you, Russell. Thank you, Katie. Hey, Russell Eubanks here. Last couple of years, been doing my own thing in cybersecurity consulting and helping folks uh, realize their dream of being a CISO. Before that, was privileged to lead cyber at the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. Octavia, over to you. 
Thanks, Russell. I'm Octavia Howell. I'm the CISO of Equifax Canada, uh, which is a region in Canada. I am in Toronto, um, Ontario. And as Thomas said, every comment and opinion is my own. Uh, I have my own personality that does not represent Equifax, Equifax Canada, or any other organizations that I am affiliated with. Over to Vijay. Thank you, Octavia. Hey, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Vijay Bala. I'm the CEO of Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Jessica, glad to have you, as we call, in the hot seat tonight and looking forward to learn more from you. Lisa, over to you. Hi, everyone. I'm Lisa Beth Lentini Walker. I run a compliance, ethics, and corporate governance consulting firm called Lumen Worldwide Endeavors. I teach law school in the United States and in Europe. And I am really excited to hear more about Jessica tonight. Welcome to uh, Fireside Chat. Over to you, Anil. Thanks, Lisa. Welcome, everyone. Um, welcome on board. Jessica, looking forward to the engaging conversation this evening. Anil Varghese, I am a five-time CISO, currently serving as a virtual CISO for our firm on the West Coast and the one in the UK at this time. Back to you, Tomas. All right. Thanks for that, moderators. So Jessica, look, as I mentioned, we are excited to have you on and on tonight and to join us on this conversation. So why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself? Let us know a little bit about you. And I usually like to start off the, the conversation with, an or, with, with finding out your origin story. So while you're taking the time to introduce yourself, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your origin story? Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I am so excited to be here with you all tonight. Um, I haven't been on Clubhouse in such a long time, so to be on the platform again is always really exciting. Um, as Tomas mentioned, um, I you run an organization called America on Tech. America on Tech is a national nonprofit that's working to decrease the economic and racial wealth gap in underestimated communities. And what we do is that we provide tuition-free technology education courses on different um, skill sets within technology, whether that be software engineering, UX design, data science, product management, what have you, um, with the ultimate goal of giving skills to students that oftentimes don't have these things available to them in their schools or in their communities. Um, you know, I'm a very proud product of New York City public schools. I am a proud New Yorkian woman. I was the first person in my family to graduate from high school, college, and then ultimately actually start my career in the technology industry. Um, and I think that those experiences really early on informed me that genius is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. Um, and, you know, what started out as a passion project that was really just supposed to serve a few students in Brooklyn, New York, has grown into what America on Tech is now. So I'm very happy to be here with you all tonight, and I really appreciate the opportunity to share more about our organization and my personal story. Awesome. Thanks for that, Jessica. Uh, Katie, why don't you uh, take it over from here? 
I will. Thank you, Jessica. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Um, I did a, a little research coming in. You have so much out there in terms of um, the way you've been able to get out on various platforms and promoting um, what you're doing. It's amazing. I so appreciate it as being uh, a person in this industry um, who uh, is always having a conversation with various other cybersecurity leaders where they're saying, why can't we um, have a more diverse um, uh, cybersecurity team within my company, within um, you know, with, within the within the military or whatever it is um, on a daily conversation. So knowing that there are programs like yours out there is just so um, enlightening and en empowering um, for the entire community. Um, one of the things that I noticed though in my research and preparing for tonight is that you were able to go out to um, provide the the funding for your scholarships um, via uh, various corporate sponsorships and and that kind of thing. I'm really interested in that. I know that a lot of other people in the room um, that are in the audience as well ha are able to tap into resources like that. So I was just wondering um, what that process was like for you um, and um, kind of what maybe a story about the, the first scholarship you were able to to hand out maybe a little bit about that experience and, and where you were able to kind of jumpstart that part of um, starting a nonprofit like this. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we started the organization in 2014 and prior to 2014, you know, I was working in the private sector, um, you know, as a technologist. And so my understanding of like nonprofit fundraising was very very scarce and also very, very limited. Um, but I think through the support of a lot of mentors and people who were really invested in the early stages at American Tech, we started to understand how we actually can build up, you know, strong corporate partnerships that could lead um, to us getting the financial resources we need to pull off the programs that we pull off. Um, you know, in the beginning, I would say the first year of American Tech, none of our funding actually came from corporate partners. I think we were too early and there wasn't a lot of data to share about student outcomes. And so what ended up happening was that we ended up getting a, our first $50,000 grant from an education incubator that takes social entrepreneurs working on, um, you know, social problems to be able to, you know, seed the organization and take it to the next level. And it was that $50,000 that ultimately um, led me to leave my job full-time as a technologist in order to take the organization on full-time. Um, and so the beginning stages, it was really about finding those early supporters um, that were really committed to just entrepreneurs working on social problems. And as our organization got a lot more sophisticated, we got a lot smarter, and I think we also started understanding how nonprofit fundraising works, especially when they're trying to establish corporate partnerships. And so now, you know, us, um, our corporate partnerships really range from, you know, us partnering with companies to engage their technology workforce and volunteering opportunities. And in exchange, they give us donations in order to be able to provide scholarship opportunities and the free trainings and the stipends that we give our students. Um, we also work directly with technology human resource departments to create hiring pipelines where you know, if they take on an America on Tech student for an internship or a full-time job, they're able to, you know, give back a donation in order for us to be able to serve yet another student who might follow the same pathway. 
Um, and then we also started partnering directly with corporate social responsibility departments who were really committed to wanting to make sure that their companies knew that they were agents of change in the communities that they reside in um, and wanted to make sure that they created pipelines for from their business to the actual local community that poured in the resources that they had um, in order to be able to, you know, make that change locally for our youth. So it was uh, a very, like I would say it wasn't a clear, uh, it wasn't a clear process, um, but now I think, you know, seven years later, we've learned a lot. And I think corporate partners play a critical role in helping um, you know, organizations like ours, you know, grow to be sustainable um, resources for young people. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, it's I, I love the fact that, you know, there's the execution factor, you know, that you started out and seeking out that grant uh, from an education incubator and then how that has evolved. It's really inspiring, quite frankly, and um, just hearing how that process worked for you. Um, you know, is is so helpful. Sorry, I jumped kind of right into the weeds there. I'm sure everyone has a lot of questions around your more about your origin story and how you um, even got to the point where you were, um, you know, leaving your job as the technologist. So um, I will pass the mic over to Russell to continue digging into your story. Thanks so much, Jessica. Thanks, Katie. Hey, Jessica, we're so grateful you're spending time with us this evening. We always learn things, get inspired, uh, to hopefully become better leaders ourselves. A question for you, as you think about uh, what you're describing with your organization, America on Tech, uh, are there some common barriers that may not really be barriers, uh, after all, that keep companies, that keep people from engaging and uh, supporting uh, the good work that your organization's doing? And if so, can you tell us what those might be? Um, that's a really good question. I think that the the one thing I'll say is I think um, I think the first step in uh, trying to I guess you can say create the business case for an organization that currently does not have a lens for partnering with nonprofits is probably a change in mindset, right? Like you have to have a company and buy in from leadership at a company that really believes that their company should be involved in youth development and in workforce development initiatives in their local communities because without that leadership at the corporate level then the funding for programs a lot of times won't move forward so like you actually need visionary leaders that believe equity and inclusion and diversity are important and believe that the ways in which they can achieve that is through building early pipeline programs. And sometimes, you know, with people being busy and a lot of corporate structures um, being sometimes a little bit archaic is not always as easy to get through the doors or to get that buy-in from leadership. Some of it is because maybe there's a general apathy. Some of it is because maybe people don't even know where to start or some of it is also just not a priority for the organization since so many people are focused on their bottom line. So when I think about, um, you know, the first barrier, I think a lot of it is like, you know, do we have a corporate leadership team that wants to prioritize young people's experiences and the ways in, they, ways in which they engage with technology so that they can be future hires for us? Um, I think maybe another barrier um, would be an understanding that this is a long-term investment in young people, and so while they not might while they might not be ready to hire immediately because some of our students do our programs and then become college bound, 
um, you know, it's still an opportunity to build skills during a very critical time in their careers um, and in their academic journeys that can help build employer loyalty a little bit later on so that when they are seeking full-time employment, they have an opportunity to go back to these organizations that they know invested in their development to pursue those kinds of employment opportunities. So those are the two things that I think from a barriers perspective stands in the way um, of developing like corporate partnerships uh, for nonprofits. And maybe like, you know, there's obviously a lot of barriers for our students um, to, you know, even get these services in the first place, which I'm happy to talk about. But those are the barriers that I see from the corporate perspective. Thank you, Jessica. I can think about eight more questions I want to ask, but let me go ahead and pass over to Octavia. And if there's more time, I'll dig into that uh, in just a little bit. Octavia, over to you. Thanks, Russell. Um, hey, Jessica. Um, I'm really excited about what you're doing. And it's interesting because I actually, I used to work uh, for a company that's based in New York, and I've actually um, come to one of you guys' meetings before um, and did not realize that it was you. So I'm really excited um, that that you're with us tonight. One of the things that, you know, that I always think about is when we're actually looking at diverse communities and we're actually looking at the pipeline, right? One of the things that I know is that the pipeline has to, you know, we, we can get people in and we can actually give them entry level positions. But what really matters is those who are, you know, making the decisions, have the authority, have the autonomy and the power. Right. And, and when I think about youth programs like America on Tech and like some other, um, you know, pipeline programs, I'm really wondering, like the founders, what would be the ideal situation like? to see what would it be like to actually see one of the students that came through really make it to the top and really um, be able to pour back into the community. So my question for you is like, when you look at the students, you've been in this for seven years now, and you look at the students and you look at what you're training, what you're building up, what would be like a aha, like a, like a nostalgic moment for you um, for in the success of your students that participate in the program. Yeah, for sure. And I think what you asked, Octavia, is a very, very important question because I think a lot of people, they are very interested in funding youth programs, right? And in the beginning stages, everyone was excited about our high school program. And as time passed, we started having a growing alumni pool that were enrolled in colleges and universities across the country. Um, who were still looking for resources even while being on college campuses. And what we said to ourselves was, we need to start framing this as a problem that spans just the high school level and get you know our current supporter base to understand that they're making really sometimes a five to six year investment in a young person when they are investing in America on tech because we can't leave people behind you know you'll notice that there are a lot of nonprofits that just focus on youth and they have no wraparound services for for their alumni and that is not the case with us we actually have a dedicated um, alumni and employments team at american tech that is dedicated to ensuring that our alumni are getting jobs um, after they graduate college or if they graduated from a two-year or four-year and i think for me like 
we have so many of these moments all of the time now, because after seven years, you do have a group of students that are working in the industry. So, you know, the first student that comes to mind to me is a young man. His name is Gregoire. Um, he is a fantastic, he came to us in 2016, did a few programs with us at the high school level, got um, on the user experience design track with our organization. We paired him up with an internship at Accenture during his senior year of high school, another internship um, with other corporate partners. And then ultimately this past summer, he did his junior year internship at Accenture again. And now he has a returning full-time offer for next summer. We've seen that case again with another young man. Um, his name is Jeremy De La Cruz, and he did an internship, you know, after doing our high school programs with Warby Parker, which we paired him with. Then he went and did one with Morgan Stanley, and then he ultimately ended up doing a Postmates internship in engineering, and then ultimately, um, you know, started his career with Microsoft. So I think for us, um, it's really understanding that this is a long-term play for young people, um, especially those that are college bound, um, because it, you can't just invest at the high school level and then think you're gonna see massive returns and that, you know, them pursuing a college education poses no barriers. You know, for us, we're working with students who are oftentimes a part of marginalized groups um, that we've historically seen how black and brown kids and black and brown young people are often um, met with very unique challenges, even when they go to college, that you have to continue to provide services for them um, and getting people to just buy into the vision that this is the long-term play is probably the biggest um, thing that we've learned over the last seven years. And I think convincing everyone and them seeing the outcomes of the young people that are getting jobs um, has been one of the strong suits for our organization. I hope that answers your question. I know that was pretty long. <laughs> no, it does. And I have follow-ups too, but I think we can actually get into it when we start talking. But I would love just to, like, I'm really interested in the full journey and I would love to see where you guys are 10 years from now. Over to you, Vijay. Thank you, Octavia. Jessica, phenomenal hearing you know, your story. Uh, you know, a lot of us talk about how we can, you know, bring this next generation of pipeline into cybersecurity and tech, and here you are doing it, right? So I have two questions for you, one on the personal end uh, and one professional. Personal, as in, share to the audience, like, what makes Jessica tick, right? That's my personal question, and then I'll, I'll come to my, you know, personal one. Yeah, you mean like what, uh, when you say what makes Jessica tick, you mean like what keeps me passionate about the work? Yeah. Nope. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's like even my personal story and just seeing how that story can be replicated when you have um, young people that can follow a similar pathway. Like, you know, for me, when I graduated, so just some background, like my mom and dad raised me on maybe like fifteen to $20,000 per year, right? When you're growing up low income in New York City, um, sometimes you don't even know <laughs> that you're living in poverty, right? Um, and I think that like one thing I realized um, was that when I graduated from college and I started my career in tech and I told my mom, you know, my starting salary, she was like, do you know that you make about like four or five times like what I made my entire career in a year? 
Um, and I, that was such an eye-opening experience for me. So when I think about what keeps me passionate about this work, because if I'm being fully transparent, like this is really hard work. Um, you're working in communities. It requires so many different stakeholders and so many different collaborators um, that the work does get hard. But in those moments, like I just think about how it feels to um, receive an offer or receive your first job um, or receive your first internship with an organization that's a big brand name and how it can make you feel valuable and seen and heard in a way that our students haven't always been seen and recognized and heard. And for many of them, a lot of times the only professionals they've had are the teachers within their classrooms because a lot of our students are first generation. So I think that's what keeps me passionate and what keeps me tick is like the idea that we can use technology for good and we can use technology to create a pathway towards economic empowerment for communities that oftentimes didn't even know that this was a possibility for them. Thank you for that. Uh, you know, my, my professional question was going to be like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, your role is going to be very unique in trying to market and sell uh, what your firm does to a lot of the executives in various companies, right? And, uh, you know, I can see firsthand a lot of that pitch is your passion that you bring into it. But for us, right, if, if you could share a couple of tips, tricks, no, not tricks, but, you know, uh, themes that have helped executives in different organizations buy into you know you and your firm and what your mission and vision is that'll be really cool yeah for sure you know um i always go back to the data because the reality is that like there are all the anecdotes that i share that can feel like very qualitative and can feel like oh my gosh she's just inspirational but there is data out there and there is research and there are publications out there that show a lot of things and the first thing i'm going to say there's a lot of research out there that shows that better diversity brings about better business outcomes you know there's also data out there that shows that when you invest in technology education for students at the high school and at the high school and college level um i'm oh, sorry at the middle school and the high school level women are are 10 times more likely to go into field to the field and the black latinx students are seven times to eight times more likely to go into the field um there's also data that shows that students who do internships prior to going to college and those that do internships even while in college are about 80% more likely to actually get full-time employment after, you know, post-secondary um, education. And so I think for me, like when I'm thinking about, you know, talking to an employer, I'm thinking about um, pitching this from, you know, a social return on investment where it's like, you might be giving America on tech a $50,000 grant, but because you are making this investment that reaches 25 students, these 25 students, if gone through the program and graduate, have the chance to make two or three times their expected lifetime income, have an opportunity to have 80% likelihood of actually obtaining full-time employment, have the opportunity to make X amount of money if placed into internships. And I think when you can share those quantitative anecdotes with people, um, it actually moves them to seeing that their $50,000, they've actually 
you know, 10x or 100x, depending on the metric that you're moving by, in order to see that the investment goes beyond that initial, um, you know, the initial capital. Because the good thing about organizations like ours is that that 50k, we stretch it so much <laughs> that you see, you see, um, you know, social returns on it. So that's the way that I think about, um, you know, creating the business case for a lot of executives, because a lot of times people think it's just like the right thing to do. And it obviously is. But um, it's also, you know, you can add methodologies to help um, quantify, you know, the, the the social return on investment. Thank you. Love, love the qualitative aspect. Uh, gee, I got so many follow up questions, but uh, at least I'm going to hand it over to you. Great question so far, Jessica. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I've seen in your background that you've been named to 30 under 30 and 40 under 40 and all of these wonderful accolades. Now, you work with youth. As you continue to do what we all do, which is uh, age and mature and develop, how do you stay in contact with that youthful spirit and understand where your you know students are so that you can connect with them even as technology and everything around us is changing so rapidly <laughs> that's such a good question that is very very good question so you know um yes you know i started american tech when i was very very young um and obviously i've grown older now but i think what has helped a lot is like i have a lot of nieces i have a lot of nephews and i also stay involved in the programs i think a lot of times um people who work in the social sector especially nonprofits like once you get to like the c level of a nonprofit um, and, you know, it's in the million dollar range now and you have staff, you know, you tend to outsource these things to people to carry on the work. But I think the one thing that my co-founder and I have been very intentional about is that even though we might not be individual contributors to the program in terms of its execution, we want to be feeling the experience of the students who are going through the program. So we have the language to connect with them. So we're on the social media platforms that they're on. Like I have a TikTok account where I act silly as well. Um, and I think it's important for them to see that because so much of, um, you know, so much of what we believe at American Tech is that young people cannot be what they cannot see. Um, and I remember when I was coming up um, in my academic and career journey, a lot of times I could not find, you know, that brown girl, Puerto Rican girl from Brooklyn who, you know, made me feel like I could also operate in spaces of innovation. And I've been very intentional about curating a brand that still feels youthful in front of our students and then very professional in the areas and in the spaces that it needs to be professional. And I think the idea of code switching um, is a skill that I try to flex a lot because the only ways in which our programs stay culturally relevant and even age relevant um, is if I make the intentional decision to engage in the same things that they do and that our staff also engages in the same things that they do, um, which means designing things with them and not for them um, and always listening to you know, the things that they put in our surveys, um, we're always listening to the things that they share in our focus groups so that we are responsive to their needs and not, and not us trying to spoon, spoon feed them things that we think they should know. 
um, you know, when I think about like equity and when I think about inclusion, you know, I try to treat it as a product, right? And everyone that knows anything about technology is like you listen to your users. Um, and so for us, um, you know, we try to make sure that, you know, with us being equity minded, that like we design experiences with our users in mind and that they actually are part of the design process. And I think that's what keeps things youthful and relevant. How I would feel when I start hitting 40, I'm not sure, <laughs> but that's just how I feel right now. I love it. I love it. And I, I, you know, I'm so glad that you're willing to share with us your, you know, journey and also, you know, how you're looking at things as, you know, we all continue to grow and develop and mature. So um, I will uh, let Anil speak next because I'm sure that you have even more questions, Anil. Sure. Thank you, Lisa. Jessica, thanks for taking the time uh, this evening. Uh, I think I met you and Evan at an event years ago when I was working out of New York. Uh, definitely appreciate that time. Uh, Want to ask you quickly, uh, get your insights on, you know, over the last several years, a lot of corporations have either formed partnerships, leveraged corporate social responsibility. What avenue have you seen gain the most traction? That's my first part of my question. Um, you mean like um, you mean like what like what programs do we run do we run that are getting the most attention? Exactly. Yeah, um, it really that's a good question. Um, I think at the beginning stages, because we only operated the high school program, it set the precedence that we are only a high school organization, and so convincing people that the high school program is important. I think has not been a difficult thing because that's the brand that we've built. However, now in the last two or three years, having developed our alumni program, um, I think that people have started to understand that we are more than just um, the high school program. And as a result of that are now, you know, pouring more dollars into students who are 18 to 24 in our college program because they can actually see um, a return on investment, um, you know, a lot quicker than when they invest in the high school space. And so I think from a traction standpoint, I would say first it was high school and now it's evolved to alumni. And I think for us um, getting, I think the next phase of the work is getting everyone to understand like that it's a multi-layered approach that happens over the course of five to six years. Um, that we're hoping to attract, you know, the, the traction too, if that makes sense. But I think that's the way it's played out so far. No, that's great to hear. And, and I, you know, one of the things that's, you know, great, just like Alicia talked about staying, you know, tied to the times, you know, I know you guys are uh, recently got involved with NFTs. Can you give us a little bit of the backstory on what fueled that cause? Oh, yeah. So um, my co-founder and I, we are the co-creators of an NFT project called High Tech Heroes. Um, this actually is not affiliated with America on Tech at all. However, we are trying to find ways to make it synergetic. Um, you know, but for us, the, the goal for High Tech Heroes was to create an NFT project um, that was focused on technology, innovation and building generational wealth um, for uh, communities that want access to it and don't necessarily have access to it. So a portion of the proceeds from the project are going to go to nonprofits that are working on 
technology education and bridging the digital divide like America on tech. Um, and the goal of the community is to provide, um, in terms of utility, is to provide access to um, events that cover, um, you know, hot trends and hot topics and technology that oftentimes, um, you know, people of color are very interested in, but they don't necessarily know how to navigate the spaces to get the accurate information. That's awesome. That's so great to hear. Appreciate that, Jessica. Back to you, Katie. Yeah, thank you. Um, so quick room reset. Um, this is the fireside chat uh, room tonight. We're speaking with Jessica Santana, co-founder and CEO of America on Tech. 30 under, Forbes 30 under 30, Cranes New York 40 under 40. Um, and you know what? There, it's not so bad after 40, Jessica, I promise. Um, <laughs> no, I don't, think, I, don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad at all. I always imagine my life being really great. I've, as I've aged, I feel like it's uh, it's been on on trend with wine. You know how wine gets better with age. That's I right. Feel like I've gotten better with age as well. <laughs> I agree entirely. Um, and uh, so yeah, I appreciate that. And um, so in terms of the way we we run the room here every single week is um, we usually will open it up in about ten minutes or so. We'll open it up. Uh, to the rest of the room. Sanju, I see you in the audience. Uh, so good to see you in the audience. Um, so anyone else who has a question uh, for Jessica, please raise your hand. We'll bring you up on stage. A couple of the moderators, though, I know had a, a couple of um, follow-up questions, and I just wanted to make sure we got those in uh, real quick. Um, but then, you know, those of you in the audience who'd like to come up, we'll be bringing you up um, as well. So with that, um, Octavia, did you want to uh, ask your uh, the follow-up questions that you had? I do. Thanks, Katie. So, you know, I'm, I'm all about just, again, a full pipeline, right? And just wanted to know, we talk a lot about on this fireside chat about generational wealth and how a lot of us grew up. Like a lot of us moderators um, did not grow up um, with either both parents or we didn't grow up. Like a lot of us lived below the poverty, poverty line when we were coming up. And so I think it's so important for us to actually be able to be in the situation that we're in right now, but also to give back, right? What do you wish or hope? Like, how could those of us who have been through, you know, you, you have a program that's trying to help these high school students, college students, and, and they're beyond, kind of get to a point where they're not living in poverty and actually breaking that, that generational curse? Like, how can people like us help you um, and how can you utilize us to actually close the entire pipeline? Mm, that's a really good question, Octavia. I think that, um, whew, let me see. You know, I, I used to work in the private sector. And I think that, like, um, I, I, had, I, have a lot, I had a lot of mentors at the time when I was working in the private sector that I think very much cared about equity and inclusion. Um, but to be quite frank with you, I think they were a little bit afraid to become advocates because the data also shows that, um, you know, those who are at companies sometimes are chastised when they start trying to promote diversity and inclusion um, within the company. So they start, see, they, they start, they, they fear being perceived as like the angry person or, you know, the person who's trying to push an agenda or, um, you know, the person who's trying to uh, make sure that the company doesn't pay lip service to diversity. And as a result of that, they tend to stay a little bit quiet. And I think that, um, you know, 
and and quite frankly, that happens because like this is also their bread and butter, right? Like this is like your job, this is your salary. You probably have mouths to feed, families to take care of. But I think that we're in a time right now where the last two years, um, there has to have been an awakening for everyone in that when COVID hit, there were communities that were like, you can't even argue, were disproportionately affected by the effects of the last two years. And we also saw how black and brown communities were the ones that were oftentimes disproportionately affected. Women were disproportionately affected. The students who've had disabilities um, were disproportionately affected. So there's no better time than now to become an advocate for change within your community, within your corporations. Cause I think that companies are starting to understand that they are agents of change in the business in in the communities they reside in and in places like new york for example which is our headquarters you know you have companies that are headquartered maybe two or three blocks away from um, subsidized housing projects or two to three blocks away from public schools that are struggling and i do think it's incumbent on leadership at these companies no matter what background they're from whether white black orange purple um, to play a role in actively creating connections between the companies that they're working in and their local communities. And I think the way you can do that is one, you can partner with organizations like America on Tech in sponsoring programs, in hosting interns, in bringing in volunteers, um, in you know, getting your employee resource groups involved, um, inviting us to speak like you did today, because sometimes half the battle is just getting the word out there. Um, and I also think it's um, giving leadership who's oftentimes very busy an opportunity to gain visibility into the social problems as well. Because, you know, when you're a C-suite at an organization, like sometimes you're so busy that Sometimes you just need the primer of like, okay, who is this? What do they want from us? What is the return? Um, and like, how can we, you know, how can we support? Because, um, you know, I have the ability to say yes or no. So that's what I think. Um, that's what I think about when I think about getting, um, and, and then the role that executives play in getting involved in their local communities. Um, and I really just think that now is the time. Um, and I think that also if there is general fear or just like lack of lack of guidance around it, like all nonprofits, especially if they're good and established ones, are gonna have a development team that can help you craft the pitch to whatever internal stakeholder um, you know, is necessary in order to make those partnerships come to fruition. Yeah, that's good. I would actually uh, challenge you to kind of think about in a different way as well, because, and this is what I know, a lot of us executives now are those children who were in poverty, who needed social programs, and we do have the authority to actually make a difference. And so sometimes it's just about how can we actually help and what can we do? And so it's, you know, kind of look at it from that way. Cause I think sometimes organizations may think that the ones that's making the decisions are not those who actually went through the same thing that some of these children are going through. So, so yeah, so that's kind of where I'm kind of looking at like, what can we, how can we make sure that we're making the, you know, a, a bigger impact. And I think a lot of executives also want 
want to actually show the the youth that there's a there's a way, right? That that we made it and they can make it too. And it's not just lip service. This is not just a a charity program, but this is actually a way out and a path. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. For sure. I definitely don't disagree. I definitely don't disagree. There are many of us that have, um, you know, actually followed the path. And I always say that I am the student um, that I now serve. And so I definitely, definitely agree. I was more saying that sometimes, you know, when, um, when you are in that position, it could be a little bit fearful to uh, try and, you know, advocate for programs like ours because, you know, sometimes people aren't as receptive to it. That's all I was saying. But I definitely agree. Yeah. With yeah. Absolutely. So it's time for us to step up, right, and actually be able to to advocate when we see those those people who don't know leaning towards no, right? We can actually speak on where we came from, possibly for sure. Absolutely. I don't know, Russell, I know you you were interested in having more questions as well. Yes, Octavia, thank you. And I think that this is a uh, I'm really curious and maybe building on what you were uh, discussing just now, Octavia. Uh, is there such a thing, Jessica, as a uh, typical timeline for a, a person to go through the process, say from their day one until they're engaged and they've been trained and they're uh, making a contribution at a company. I, I don't know, by any means trying to like uh, pigeonhole or anyway, but just I'm curious to kind of what that timeline might look like or maybe what it has looked like uh, with recent um, students who've gone through this. Yeah, for sure. So every every student experience in the program is very different. Um, you know, for us, uh, you know, if the student is enrolling, has enrolled in our intensive course, um, directly after that initial program, they actually can get a job um, directly after it. So if they do decide to get a direct a job directly after it, it's about twelve months um, before they actually get a job in the industry. For some students, though, wanting to pursue employment directly after the program is not the goal because they are in high school. And so they some of them go college bound. Um, so what ends up happening is like rather than pursuing a job after the program, they pursue an internship. And then our alumni team, you know, is very, very dedicated to ensuring that internships then follow and that we keep track of the students um, and that the time horizon um, is in alignment with, with what the student's goal is. And so for those students, it can be two years if it goes, if they decide to go to a community college and then pursue employment after the training. Um, but for some students, it can be four years. So it really just depends on the young person and what their goals are. Um, but for us, the immediate outcome is year-long training and then internship thereafter. Um, and that usually is a 12-month time frame. Got it. That's super helpful for me to kind of visualize, kind of think about the different paths that you uh, outlined right there. Awesome. Well, Vijay, over to you. And I think then we'll turn it over to folks uh, uh, in the audience. Thank you, Russell. Jessica, quick question. You, you helped numerous, hundreds of kids, right? Was there any one particular story that, you know, touched you uniquely that you could share with us? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's actually... Um, it's uh, the McCullum family. So in 2016, we had a young woman in our program, do our program. Um, her name was Samara, and she has such an amazing experience that she told 
her sister and then her sister followed through the program and then she had a good experience and then the sister told the brother and so at that point at this point we have three generations or three different um brothers and sisters who had um who done who've done the american tech program who are all pursuing technology degrees uh degrees one is at carnegie mellon the other one is at cornell and the other one is at a local cuny school and they have all done internships with our organization um one of them did an internship this summer at bny mellon the other one was at doche bank and so honestly i think seeing that generational impact like how you can get into one student's life and then it can become a trend for their family um to then follow that same pathway i think probably is my favorite story to tell because it was such an unexpected um outcome of the work you know a lot of times we think about like how do you bring a young person in and train them and get them the resources and put them on a path but to see that it kind of created a butterfly effect where it was like you got one sister and then you got their brother and their other sister um to to do the program as well and now they're all following that pathway has been a very exciting story for me to be following at AOT. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing. All right, I see we have a few members from the audience join us. Jason, over to you to uh, ask Jessica a question. Thank you very much. And Jessica, it's a pleasure meeting you and thank you so much for your story. You know, when I hear that and, uh, you know, coming from the background I have with being, you know, family blue collar like yourself and so forth, you know, we're really blessed and it's a reality check from time to time going, you know, really how blessed we really are in what we're doing. And the, like you talked about the ability to give back um, within your programs, where are you seeing a lot of your students gravitate towards as in what tracks are they beginning to follow as you begin to train them and they move on? Are they going down the more network security route? Are they going down InfoSec programming? Can you give us a little feedback on what those programs look like and how they're moving through so that we can start to kind of visualize what kind of mentorship we can offer? Because we got so many diverse backgrounds and experiences on this on this session. Yeah, for sure. So all those, so it's, it's interesting because I think that all the students at AOT in general come to us trying to become software engineers. And then what they learn in the process of creating a lot of the projects and doing a lot of the projects that we have at the organization and throughout the curriculum is that they start to realize that they might have an affinity for some of the other tracks that they didn't even know that they were exposed to. And so when I'm thinking about um, the, what students are gravitating to, I'm thinking about it from more of a major's perspective. So all of our students are pursuing computer science. Um, well, not all of them, 85% of them are pursuing computer science um, or are working in tech right now. And the roles that have been the most popular at this point have been the software engineering roles, the user experience design roles, as well as the product management roles. Um, we've not had a track on cybersecurity up until now. Um, we actually are piloting our first cybersecurity program with NBC Universal this spring for our college students. That's going to be focused on cloud um, and cybersecurity with in partnership with them. And um, you know, it's it's hard to share a little bit more on the cybersecurity front because it's the first time we're doing it. But the one thing I'll say is 
the interest in technology is there for all of them and they end up opting into one of the tracks that we have after the first semester um, based on their experiences and the most popular ones have been engineering ux and product at this point awesome thank you so much no problem all right, Sanju, over to you. Thank you, uh, Jessica. Congratulations um, on creating uh, your nonprofit and all the awards that you received. Um, I love to give people their their flowers when they do such great things in their career and, and personally. So, what is your world the domination plan? You've done so much already. Like, what does success look like personally for you? That's my question. Um, personally, for me, to be honest with you, um, on a personal level, really, the only thing I want to do is be able to say that, like, when I'm an old woman and I'm in my rocking chair, um, that I did everything that I wanted to do up until that point because it's so hard to say that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life because I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. I know right now my life's mission is definitely American Tech and I feel very called to this work. Um, but, you know, I want to give myself the uh, ability to be flexible in, um, you know, my passions and the way that I experience the world. And so I think me personal success will look like just being able to say that I had no regrets at the time of me sitting in my rocking chair, drinking my tea as like an older woman, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And we probably will be in a technology a tech old folks home together sipping tea. <laughs> so thank you. I love that. Hey, don't make fun of the people over 40 again, Jessica. No, no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> I feel like I'm coming off as an agent, no. and I promise you I'm not. I'm not. No, I really loved what you had to say about uh, aging wine, though. I've been thinking about which one I would be. Um, I think I'm at about like an $80 bottle now. Mm. Like a nice California cab, maybe. I yeah. love that. <laughs> I was trying to but, um, no. I think that rock and trail might be an IOT, though. That's funny. <laughs> so sorry, move, I digress. Uh, but moving on. So um, Tom Ryan uh, just joined the stage. Tom, uh, what question do you have for Jessica tonight? So Jessica, one simple thing. I know you're having problems with the cybersecurity stuff. So feel free to reach out if you need help with that. Also, if you need software donated, you know, to teach application security, anything like that, also let me know. That's all I have for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'm definitely take that, taking that as a note for tonight. Thank you so much, Tom. And I'd even, I'd reiterate that as well. And I mentioned it at the top of the hour, um, just because, um, you know, we do have a diverse background in terms of the people that are in the room, the people that are moderating tonight. That's why I jumped right into corporate sponsorships and figuring out we, how we can help you. Um, one of the questions though I had um, from your previous statements, you mentioned at the very beginning that you had some mentors as well in your life, um, but I don't know that we really explored that. Um, do, are you open to sharing uh, who some of those or one or two of, of those mentors and how they impacted your trajectory? 
Yeah, for sure. And I feel like there was always one very important figure at every important stage of my life. Um, I think in high school, I had an English teacher named Miss Panette, and she was this amazing Black woman who was radical and exciting and always had me thinking about myself um, as like a young woman growing up in Brooklyn. And like, she gave me just so, she just gave me the permission to feel like I should be confident in who I am, regardless of where I was from. Um, and she really believed in me and my voice. And so, you know, everyone that knows me knows that like, I am super opinionated and I love having opinions about the world. And I'm very like passionate about, you know, social problems and stuff like that. And she never made me feel um, like, I guess you can say she never made me feel like any less than for it. She actually encouraged me actually using my voice. So I think in high school, it definitely was Miss Panette. Um, in college, it was a woman named Josie Otero. She used to be um, the program coordinator at the Office of Multicultural Affairs at Syracuse University, which is my alma mater. Um, and to just be able to see a woman who was unapologetically Puerto Rican from the Bronx, um, and she was really running the show in that office and, you know, made me get involved um, in, in student organizations and take leadership roles in those student organizations, made me feel like I actually belonged on campus because there was a point where I felt like huge imposter syndrome attending Syracuse with so many young people that were from a lot more affluent communities or perceived affluent communities um, than I was from and who had read books that I hadn't even read. And so her making me feel comfortable to, you know, make that college experience my own, regardless of whether or not there weren't a lot of other young Puerto Rican girls on campus with me um, was very pivotal for me. And then in the private sector, um, there was a woman um, who I'm going to not name because she is actually an executive in tech. And I don't know if she would feel comfortable with me saying that but or saying this. But, you know, just being able to see her be a C-suite executive at a large technology company, but still be able to take the time to mentor me and provide me advice um, while I was working um, in tech was really important because it made me feel like no matter you know, what level I was on, I was still important, important and my voice mattered. And then now that I'm in nonprofit, you know, I go back to the early days where I had a woman named Jennifer um, Negron, who was our first institutional investor at American Tech, who like literally served as a catalyst for advocacy for our work um, and really provided like the validation um, that we needed and a sponsorship that we needed for us to be taken seriously because truthfully, you know, when you're young, a lot of people don't think you can run anything. And so to have her say, regardless of their young, if they're young, they're proximate to the communities and continue to advocate for us in that way showed me that like I can do the same thing for my communities um, and just being able to observe all. And I think there's a trend here. These were all women. <laughs> um, I think just being able to see the slew of women and the way that they carried themselves and the confidence in which they carried themselves and the fact that they were exactly who they said they were and they like advocated relentlessly regardless of you know how they were perceived, I think were the mentors that played 
a really a huge role in my life that I'm very thankful for today. That's fantastic. Um, so let me just take a moment to do a quick room reset. For anyone who has joined us um, since we started, this is the Fireside Chat. We have Fireside Chats every Wednesday. Um, this has been going on for over a year now, I believe. Uh, if you haven't joined the club, you can click on the little green house at the top of your screen and make sure that you get the updates about the fireside chats that we have each week. Tonight, we are here with Jessica. And it has been a, a very and exciting discussion. Um, if you would like to join us on the stage and ask your questions, please feel free to raise your hand and we'll make sure that you have an opportunity to speak. Um, but Jessica, before we move on um, to anyone else who has questions, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is you, you know, you talked a little bit about um, imposter syndrome. One of the things that keeps coming up um, and that we keep hearing about is um, well-being and um, mental health, particularly for youth right now, um, but in general, in many different professions. What do you do in terms of helping students? What do you do for yourself when it comes to your own well-being? How are you thinking about these topics today? For sure. Um, for the students in AOT, I always say that we are investing in the whole child. And so while we're known for technology education and skills training, we have partnerships with several nonprofits um, where we can actually refer our students to for mental health services. Um, because while we don't have the capacity on that on staff, there are other nonprofits that their sole mission is to provide good mental health for young people. And so for us, it's establishing really good partnerships with leaders and experts in those areas. Um, and then serving as a catalyst and a champion for our students to gain access to those services with no barriers in place. Um, I also think it's being very intentional about the classroom experience for our students because I know a lot of people love folks to be on camera, <laughs> but, you know, the young people that we work with, a lot of times, you know, they're living in one bedroom apartments, possibly with like four or five other people, and it is not exciting for them to be on camera um, with, um, you know, with the backgrounds that they have. Um, in terms of like the actual physical backgrounds that you can see on Zoom. And so it's creating safe spaces for our young people to engage and not having to have the pressure of having to look a certain way just to learn on the camera. Um, and I think the last thing we do on the AOT front is making sure that we keep parents in the fold because a lot of times, you know, we put the onus and the responsibility on just young people to show up as their best selves, but their parents and their guardians and their families um, are the ones that are with them almost every single day in their homes. And so keeping them in the loop about what's going on and keeping an open communication between them and their families so that their families feel comfortable with sending an email to one of our program managers saying like, hey, so-and-so is not feeling well today. Um, so she might be on camera or he might be off camera um, or, you know, he's having an episode of some sort is like really important for us. Um, so that's what we do on the AOT front. And then on my front, um, I think I'm still learning work-life balance. Um, 
and 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 I honestly I think at this point I'm, it's more work life integration for me um, because sometimes it doesn't feel like I'm working when I'm doing AOT stuff, which can always feel like endless hours um, on the pursuit of our mission. But I think you know what I've been very good at is having Sundays be Jessica Appreciation Days, where I don't touch email. And I just go out and I spend time in the sun and I water my plants and I do stuff like that because it recenters me for the week. Um, and then making sure that um, I really just put my phone down at a specific my um, my phone and I don't touch it again until the next day. such great advice. I think we could all um, have a, I think I need to incorporate a Katie appreciation day. What do you think, Lisa? I totally agree. I like that. I, I, there's a lot of appreciating that needs to happen, yeah. especially when you got mom as a title too. Yeah. Um, there's there's just a lot that could be done there. I want to tell them, yeah, no. I think it should be the whole month of March. Let's just take off. March appreciation. Yes. Yes. I am in. <laughs> Um, and I think we had Guy jump up to the stage as well. And I think uh, there may be some additional questions. Guy, did you want to go ahead and ask your question? Man of mystery, Guy, would you like to ask a question? <laughs> OK, we'll uh, come back to him. Um, uh, what about the other mods? Did you have any ad additional questions for Jessica? Yeah, I've got one. Thanks, Katie. Um, Jessica, uh, in your role, and just as an amazing organization we've all got to learn about today, America on Tech, what's a, is there a typical balance in the time that you're uh, leading the organization versus the time that you're doing things like fundraising or awareness activities to shine a light uh, on the I'm kind of curious the balance between the many hats that I'm, I'm sure you uh, get to wear. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, you know, Mondays, I call them like my alignment days. So those are the days where I spend um, aligning with my direct reports. And so that's like me getting up to speed on things that are going on, um, meeting with them, making sure that like if they need anything from me, I prioritize it. I put it on my next steps list to get it done by whatever time frame they need me to get it done. Um, and so Mondays are usually alignment day. So if we were doing quantitative, it's like eight hours on alignment. Um, and the other uh, 32 hours in a 40 hour work week, I think it depends on the season. So in the fall timeframe, it's mainly fundraising and partnerships because that is usually the time where we bring in the most dollars. Um, and then January through April, I think it's mainly program um, activities and, you know, cultivating um, new, new prospects and bringing them to see the work and advocating and doing speaking engagements. Um, and then in the summertime, I think it's a healthy mix of like all the things that I'm responsible for at the organization because we're running summer programs and internships and at the same time preparing for the fall fundraising season. So it's very seasonal. It's very, very seasonal. But I think maybe the busiest time where it's not always as clear where my time is going 
is always like the September through December 31st time frame because after Labor Day, things get really crazy at AOT. Got it. Thank you. Super, so insightful to kind of look at the seasonality as well as the mix of, of your role. So thanks so much. I have a question. Right. And, and uh, you know, this whole uh, situation where the kids, students, everybody gets free education, you know, they get a pathway. And, you know, so, you know, someday if you crack this problem, my question is what next? What other uh, aspirations and journeys? Uh, uh, is Jessica looking into next? Um, that's a good question. I think, um, I think, you know, I think I will have to report on that. <laughs> I think right now, I think I'll have to circle back on that. I think right now, um, having a vision for anything else when this work feels so urgent all the time um, is a little bit difficult. I mean, I will say I definitely have interests outside of American Tech, like, you know, the NFT project. Um, I, honestly, that's still tech-related, obviously, and I'm still trying to figure out how to get it to involve American Tech in some capacity. But I think, you know, I do have interests outside of the organization. Um, I'm very interested in the social impact sector in general. I think my work... Um, and my life's mission is always going to be around social justice and equity and inclusion. Um, so if there was ever a time where, you know, I decided to step down as CEO of America on Tech, um, whatever I do next will always still have a focus on social justice. Um, but I think right now it's a little bit difficult to say because there's no time horizon because the problem we're trying to solve at America on Tech still hasn't been solved. I appreciate it. Thank you. Maybe, you know, if you know, it's uh, okay, you know, I have a follow-up question to that, maybe on the fun side. Um, on the same plane of thought, like, let's say, you know, on a wonderful day, you get, you know, a hundred million lotto tomorrow. What would you do next then? Oh, like a hundred million dollars for America on tech? You just yeah, it could. That's one way to look at it. Yes. Yeah. Or well, or even just yourself. Right. What would you do? Oh, um, that's a good question. I mean, I probably would invest it in some kind of financial instrument that will continue to grow, so that we don't actually have to spend so much time fundraising for America on Tech. And we actually have a sustainable funding source that's driven by the market that funds the organization itself. Um, because, you know, while we've been successful at fundraising at AOT, I would definitely say it's not my favorite part. <laughs> it's not my favorite part of the work. Um, I don't really enjoy the fundraising process. I more enjoy actually doing the work for young people and providing them with resources more than anything else. And so um, if there was like that kind of investment that came to me personally, I probably would just put that money into a fund of some sort that will generate um, ongoing dollars that keeps the organization sustainable um, 
so that we weren't reliant on philanthropy to keep the organization going. Ah, that's, thank you, thank you. So, so practical yet selfless. Jennifer, I, I see you joined us on stage. Good to see you again. Hi, thank you, thank you. Um, thanks for Jane. Um, you asked you asked one of the questions I was going to ask, which was what was what was next for Jessica. Jessica, I've been listening. You are so impressive, um, giving me chills on all of this. And I I'm with you. I've been with nonprofits, and fundraising is the worst. And providing the actual uh, benefit is you know working with the kids is the best. Um, and I'm impressed by your uh, really broad view there, both running the organization, fundraising, providing the tech, and then recognizing the um, the mental health that in people being on screens all the time and all of that. Um, I was going to follow up on your, you said um, your NFT project might be next. And I was wondering what that was, or if that was actually a part of this, because it's, it, it's tech and it's interesting. It's interesting, I would think, to, um, you know, youth, because it's a growing area that includes both tech and hands-on and 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 a lot of things so i just wanted to hear what that was yeah i i think i talked i mentioned it a little bit earlier but um we i basically am working with three friends on an nft project um called high tech heroes nft um we launched it a month ago right now we're in the community building phase in terms of building up the following getting people excited trying to build traction trying to gauge demand for you know what we're trying to build and essentially what it is it's a project that's focused on um building a community around technology innovation and building general wealth um, and the goal is that, you know, we have um, the NFT project actually unlock utility associated with in-person and virtual events that cover those same topics topics on tech innovation and building generational wealth. Um, and right now we're actually hosting a Black History slash Black Future Month series um, that's focused on educating the community about what NFTs are because one thing we've noticed is that there is a lot of buzz about NFTs um, and there's a lot of buzz about Web3 and the metaverse and crypto, but like a lot of people actually don't like know what it is um and i think part of our contribution is making sure and part of our contribution with the project is making sure that we make this information easily digest digestible and accessible to um communities that we care about and so while it's not affiliated with america on tech as of yet we see a world where the work that we do with the nft project a portion of the proceeds will actually go to fund um america on tech's operations because i think that because of our focus on tech and innovation um, and building generational wealth we think we can build a community of socially conscious people who are interested in these topics that care about our young people as well, where they would buy into the NFT project because they know that um, not only are they gaining access to these events um, with the utility, but they also are creating pathways for other people to um, gain access to that in the local community. That's awesome. You've just hit like the best things there. Um, one, actually getting through a lot of the hype and uh, Tom's in the audience. So I'm sure he felt me cringe. He knows that I can't stand all the um, hype around the metaverse and the blockchain and, and Web 3.0 being this giant decentralized world, except that you have to get onto everything through centralized platforms. Um, so love that you're actually getting people involved in that. And, and it sounds like you're getting them to understand what the realities of those are at, at this stage. And then, um, also love that you hit the two things about NFTs that I think are valuable, which is um, community. It's all about community. And then the um, 
you know, quote utility and what is that? And usually it's access to something is the, is the good, um, you know, ongoing access to something and building that community and giving access is the value. So I'm super glad to hear that you're, you know, dual function, having them build it out and also educating people on it. Nice job. Um, and same as anybody else here, I'm an attorney. So if you ever need legal help, feel free in that area to reach out. And I'm sure um, Katie, uh, the cab up in the corner can always get us connected if needed. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. We really appreciate that. I know um, part of like what we're learning about, because I'm still learning about the space as well. I'm not an expert by any means necessary, but I know enough um, to know that like, <laughs> well, no, just because someone has 15,000 Instagram followers does not mean that they have a good NFT project. Um, and so yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely agree that there is a lot of hype. And I think what I'm afraid about and, and why we're trying to create high tech heroes is because um, with the amount of misinformation that goes around, um, a lot of times the communities that are um, going to be victims of that misinformation are those that are left out of innovation in the first place, which is our students and our communities. And that can actually hurt them exponentially in many, many ways. Um, and if we really believe in a world where everyone should participate in the metaverse, we got to get back to the basics because um, we don't even have computer science education in all of our classrooms in this country. So we need to we need to start at the at the very basics with people and meet them where they are. And right now, there's just like a lot of hype and a lot of people who are buying into these things and not really understanding that like they can lose their money in a second. Yeah. So. And the hype to your point about what is the there's no the metaverse, right? So metaverses are just ecosystems. And so there's you've got all this hype of you've got to be in the metaverse and people feel like they're behind. To your point, people are going to get preyed on. It's going to be a big bubble and then a pop. For but sure. um just helping them. Yeah. And to your point, actually it's all under, you know, go back to first principles and critical thinking. It's all under laid by tech, right? So if, if people can go back and understand what is an NFT, it's a digital token. What does it connect to? And to your point, it's going to connect to access it's going to create community now anyways i could go on i'm passionate about that and i think you guys are in the right direction and and so i'm just super happy to hear that and yeah katie can connect us if you ever need um just straight legal help on, on that stuff yeah thank you jennifer for jumping up on stage and yeah jennifer is one who, i i was one of those people saying the metaverse by the way so just full disclosure um but um I digress again. Um, wanted to go to um, Heather, who was our guest uh, two weeks ago, an amazing guest. Um, and I'm sure she has a wonderful question to ask Jessica. So um, would love to pass the mic over to Heather next. Thanks, Katie. And thanks, Jessica, for coming and talking to us all. Um, you're obviously working with a pipeline of individuals that many of us here are their future people managers, right? So like I work for a company where um, you know, we're working to hire people straight out of college or, you know, bypassing college degree requirements and hiring people straight out of um, high school to increase diversity, right, and to increase our talent pipeline. And so I'm curious what your advice would be having worked with this, you know, pipeline of amazing young youth, like what, what would your advice and your hope be for their future people managers? I love that question. I love that question. Um, honestly, I think that my, I think my first piece of advice would be that 
to, to, to understand that this generation is a very different generation than previous ones. Like, I think that their ability to access information on demand has given them the ability to have to gain or to to give them the motivation to actually work on projects that like many well i will speak for myself i know i at some like you know growing up the way that i did i didn't always have the opportunity to be a leader at a young age because there those experiences weren't like weren't there or readily available for me so i think that my first piece of advice is understanding that like they're looking for leadership skills really early on. They're looking to be project owners really early on. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they are creating and they are tinkering all of the time because of they have because they have access to technology readily and on readily at their fingertips. Um, I think the other thing is um understanding that social movements really matter to them because, you know, I've seen students who have graduated from our programs that are working at companies that maybe were not responsive to, um, you know, a lot of the movements that have happened over the last two years that relates to Black Lives Matter, as it relates to um, you know, just social justice movements in general and building anti-racist workplaces that, you know, it sends them the signal that this is not a place that they want to work because it might not be aligned with their personal values. So understanding that like social causes um, and social missions um, that their companies get involved with matter. Um, and I think they have a tendency to want to have a voice, right? And I think for some people um, that have been used to having managers that you know, wanting them to be seen but not necessarily heard is not going to work with this generation because they are so opinionated and whether they are right or they are wrong, I think that just the idea of wanting to be heard is really important to them. Um, so those are the three things. So to recap, I think it's one, making sure that we give them, you know, the opportunities to be leaders on projects really early on. I think it's making sure that we give them a voice, um, you know, and give them an opportunity to express themselves authentically. And I think the last thing is, um, is making sure that the companies are committed to, you know, social movements and social causes they care about. Thank you, Jessica. I really appreciate your response. No problem. Well, we really appreciated your question too, Heather. It's um, it's always uh, nice that you're actually someone I look up to after our, our conversation um, a couple of weeks ago, um, the, that component of leadership. Um, I really, I, I've thought about a lot of things. I'm looking forward to when we can actually catch up over a glass of wine. Um, at one point soon. Um, but there's a, I'll go ahead and, and wrap this. We're kind of coming to the end of our evening. I want to be respectful of your time, Jessica. And um, Tomas always asks um, a question at the end. And I like this question, particularly for you <laughs> with the position that you're in. He always asks the question, um, what would uh, what would you say to your younger self? I think I got that right. Is that right, Mods? Is that how he, he you, says? You landed it. Okay, great. Yeah, it. just so if you're looking back at, you know, Jessica, uh, 12 year old Jessica, or whatever age you want to go to, uh, just the fact that you're working with high school kids now, what would you say to yourself? Um, 
as, as looking back at yourself and at the age of the, the kids that are coming into your program? Yeah, I think the two things I would say to myself is, Jessica, it is okay to be yourself. And Jessica, it is okay to be kinder to yourself. Um, I think that, you know, I, I have, as a first generation, um, as first generation in this country, like I have always found myself in spaces where I felt like I didn't belong <laughs> because I didn't belong. I felt like I couldn't show up authentically as me. Um, and I think I was looking for someone to give me permission to be myself. And I wish that when I was younger, I would have, um, known that it was okay to be me because, you know, I am authentically and uniquely made to be who I am. Um, and I didn't always know that. And so I felt that like a lot of times I suppressed my personality or, you know, my thoughts or my voice because I didn't necessarily think it was of value. I didn't think people would take me seriously as someone who's always felt different. Um, and I think the kinder to myself piece is that, um, I I have like I think my mom and dad had raised me to have a very high bar for performance for myself and and it's worked in some aspects you know I was like really good in school and I you know worked and I always worked very hard but at the same time I when the moments that I did fail like I internalized those failures so deeply, you know, to the point where um, I didn't realize that I could also be okay with just having tried um, and even if I didn't succeed. And so I think those are the two things that I would say to my younger self is be kinder to yourself and be okay with being yourself. Oh man, thank you for that. I think that I need to tell myself that still. Um at this point in my life too. Um, so uh, it's, a, it's a nice reminder. Although everybody in this room knows I'm myself, I, I gladly fall on my face every single day and while everyone's watching, it's you know part of the appeal, I suppose. Um, but you know, great advice for, for all of us, even in the place that we are, we are now. And um, the other thing that you said prior to that too, and, and what prompted me to ask the question at that time is, um, really getting in tune with, um, and what I'm, I, this is kind of my last comment, I'll go around the room as we close the room to the other mods with the last comment, but one of the things that I'm really taking away here, Jessica, is the uh, the concept of really understanding the generation that's coming up. Um, I have children in this age bracket, so I try to think that I know what's going on in their heads, but just the fact that um, this new generation that is coming into our industry really wants to be heard. Um, and I'm taking that with me as a nugget to, you know, really, really think about and um, appreciate your insight on all, all topics. But that's the, that's the thing that really rung uh, and really struck me uh, at the end here. So I want to thank you again. Um, before we close the room, um, just wanted to go around quickly uh, to all the, the mods. Um, and, and, of, and of course, Jessica, anything we can do to help you. Um, before I do, I just want to make sure I reiterate that anything we can do to help you, um, if, 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 and even I'll open, open edit, ask it, uh, actually, before we move to the mods is what can we do to help you, um, as a follow-up to this, uh, this, uh, conversation today? 
Yeah, for sure. Well, I just want to say this in and of itself was helpful. I think I think I said it before, just getting the word out about what we're doing um, is so important because people can't help you or advocate for you if they don't even know who you are or what you do. So just thank you so much for the platform. You could have invited anyone to be here with you all today and you invited me. So I really much appreciate that. Um, and then I guess my only ask is like, if you find that, um, you know, you are looking to get involved with a nonprofit um, and you want that nonprofit to be focused on technology and bridging the digital divide to go visit americaontech.org because we are continuously growing. We're always looking for new partners, always looking for volunteers. And, um, you know, our team is always excited to bring new people into the fold and into the network um, to get involved with our programming. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for that. And um, yeah, I'm sure you'll be hearing from um, several of us um, that were on the stage with you tonight. Um, so with that, if I can, I'm gonna go around the to the mods uh, with some final thoughts before we close the room. Uh, Russell. Sure, thanks, Katie. Jessica, you know, thank you for not only spending the last hour and a half of your life with us, but sharing what's possible and just an amazing organization that I, got to learn about tonight that I'm now a fan of in America on Tech for what you're doing and the impact. Uh, you're all in. You've demonstrated to that, uh, that to us in the way you've talked about and shared uh, in so many ways. And so again, just a massive gratitude to you uh, and uh, continued success for America on Tech. Octavia, over to you. Absolutely. I ditto everything that Russell said. Jessica, You, your passion is amazingly contagious and the fact that you are so selfless um we were kind of laughing in the background when uh vj asked you if you had a hundred million dollars i was like she's not taking anything for herself so thank you just for being uh just for being an advocate for youth right and especially those youth who are um who are you know historically disenfranchised to make sure that they are no longer disenfranchised so thank you for everything that you do lisa Thank you. I, I will, you know, I, I always feel like I always get um, following some really, really tough acts because our, our mods are, are uh, amazing in this group. But Jessica, you are an inspiration and a light and it gives me so much hope knowing that you are out there advocating and empowering youth. Um, who, you know, and the youth are really our future. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that they have a role model in you and the work that you are doing to help create a better tomorrow. Um, so thank you for that. And thank you for sharing your stories with us, Anil. Yeah, ditto what the team conveyed, Jessica. Thanks for taking the time, being candid. Uh, and then I'll reach out behind the scenes. Uh, there's a couple of different groups. I think you'd be able to help out and be able to partner with you. So again, uh, leverage us as we can, you know, work with you and serving whatever capacity uh, you see if it feels uh, going to be beneficial for the organization. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. I really appreciate it. And just really quickly, Octavia, thanks for calling that out. I didn't even realize that the question, I realized like he did ask like, what would I do with the funding? And I don't know, we were, that just we seems cracking, like a lot of money. We were cracking up, cracking up. <laughs> Yeah, that is pretty amazing. Your brain just went completely. And it was funny, as soon as he asked the question, I thought, I 
I bet she's just going to talk more about how she would put it into her program. <laughs> so um, we appreciate you so much um, echoing everything everyone else just said as well. Um, you know, uh, we're here every week, uh, Jessica, you're, please don't be a stranger. You're always welcome to come back. Um, we always have a very interesting uh, person like, like yourself, although you stand alone here, uh, obviously, but uh, we always have really interesting people. We'd love to have you back uh, as, as, uh, and in our audience to ask questions and be a part of the community. It really is a, is a community. Um, uh, I don't have the, the list of who's it next week. Lisa, do you have that handy just to make sure we announce who the guest is next week? Yep. Next week, it's going to be Jack Kaiser, who's on the red team for Albertsons. And uh, it should be a really interesting discussion um, uh, with, with loads of, you know, questions from us and from the audience. So we hope that you join us next week. So with that, everybody have a wonderful uh, rest of your evening. Uh, thank you, Jessica, Russell, Lisa, Anil, and Octavia, and Tomas, and all the other mods that were on stage tonight. Everyone who uh, came up and asked questions, we really appreciate you. We really appreciate this community. Have a great evening, and we'll see you next week.